Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18. Let me get ready. Not ready. I brought my normal glasses today. So. <laughs> If you're keeping track of something like this, the title of my message is, That's Not What I Want. That's Not What I Want. <clears throat> we, uh, <clears throat> we had a son, and uh, uh, when, when Cooper was born, you know, I had in my mind the way I wanted to raise him. You know, there was there were certain things that I that I I didn't want to do. I didn't want to make him like a clone of me. I didn't, you know. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. In the way he should go, and uh, I just wanted uh, I didn't want him to do the same work that I did and and look like me and dress like me and and pull for the same teams that I pull for. Or, or although actually there was one time when he was two. Um, the Clemson was playing football on TV and he told me, Daddy, I like their hats. And I said, son, we're not liking any Clemson hats in this house. No Clemson hats are being liked in, in this home. I got to put my foot down somewhere. And uh, I'm getting a couple of dirty looks. Okay. But look, in all fairness now, when I, when I was a high school student in Columbia, South Carolina, I applied to Clemson. I was going to study architecture at Clemson. Because I learned that when I graduated from Clemson, I could hang my diploma on the rearview mirror and park in the handicap spaces. So uh, I had to get one in for the football season. I just had to get one of them in. I got more later if you want them. I didn't want him to be that way. I wanted to raise him, and I know this sounds trite and it sounds common. It sounds like what everybody would say, but it was, it was what I wanted. I wanted to raise him to, to uh, know God and be saved. Sorry, today's going to be a bad one, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. I want him to be saved. <clears throat> I want him to love God. I wanted him to live a life <clears throat> of biblical Christianity. Um, <clears throat> I wanted him to glorify the Lord. I wanted him to be the man that God wanted him to be. <clears throat> and the reason why I wanted that was because, because that was in my heart to be that way. And so <clears throat> I did want him to be like me in that respect, in that, you know, that's what I want for myself, and that's what I wanted for him. I wanted him to be like Jesus. And, um, and so that was, that's what was in my heart in that instance. And so it made me ask the question, well, what's in God's heart? The heart of God. We read the Bible, and God gives us a lot of information. I like to say the Bible is thick. It's got really small print and no pictures, which means there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that God wants us to know. And um, God, there's a lot of things that God wants, but, uh, but there are times in the Bible, and I don't. this is just the way I'm putting it. There's times in the Bible where it seems to me God's revealing a little bit of his heart in what he's saying. He's revealing himself. And oddly enough, and uh, well, I'll say this first. I'm, I'm trying not to get sidetracked. Um, the last time we talked, last Sunday night, we talked about, you know, something that God wanted, and that was the, in this matter of forgiveness with believers. 
God wanted us to be, he wants us to be, you know, reconciled with one another. He wants us to be right with one another. He doesn't want somebody over here hating somebody sitting over here and, and having hard feelings and not making it right. God wants us to be unified. He wants us to be right with one another. That's what he wants. That's in the heart of God. And in all places, I'm reading in Ezekiel, and I'll just be honest with you, I, when I read in Ezekiel, I have, it, it, to me, it's just miserable. That's, you know, just judgment, judgment, judgment. The next chapter is judgment and judgment. And the next chapter is more judgment. And it's just, I mean, it's just not a, it's not a pleasant read. And then you get to chapter 18. And I like to put it this way. God kind of reveals something of his heart to me in, in, in chapter 18. And that's this. While as believers, like we talked about last time, while as believers, God wants us to be reconciled with one another, God's heart as revealed in Ezekiel 18 is he wants the lost reconciled unto him. And he wants to use us to do it. From Ezekiel 18 and of course in, in verse 33. So uh, that's what we're going to look at today. And I just sort of made a little rudimentary outline here. <clears throat> And, uh, and Roman numeral one is in chapter 18, starting in verse one. Uh, I call it the warnings of God, the warnings of God. And if you look at Ezekiel 18, starting in verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, what mean ye that you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And basically what he's saying there is the father eats something bitter and the kids go, you know, it's like, it's like the father did something, but the kids are getting the effect of it. That apparently is a, was a proverb in Israel during this time. Uh, you know, the, the, our fathers did stuff wrong. We didn't do anything wrong. Our fathers did stuff wrong, and we're having to suffer the consequences of it. In essence, is what's being said. That was what was meant by that proverb. Verse 3 says, As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. And then he says this, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's one of the main warnings of God in this passage. He has some other things that he wants to say, but he's starting with that. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And then we see some examples here in light of the proverb that was referenced. In verse 5, we see the example of a just father. Verse, starting in verse 5, it says, But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful and right, and hath not eaten upon the mountains, and that's making reference to uh, you know, uh, feasts and offerings offered to false gods, um, uh, <clears throat> Eaten upon the mountains, neither had lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, neither hath defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath come near to a menstruous woman, and hath not oppressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man hath walked in my statutes and hath kept my judgments to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord. The just father. And there was something that kind of stood out to me and that was the fact that 
He could have said in verse 5, but if a man be just, verse 9, he shall surely live. He could have just said that and we would have got the point. But he started listing three verses of things that, things that he should do, things that shouldn't be done according to the Mosaic law. And I think God is saying these things and he repeats them many times. I think he's making a point. Oh, really? The fathers have sinned and you're suffering for their sin? And I think what he's doing is he's cataloging things that these people that are saying this proverb are guilty of. You're not innocent. That's his point here. You're not innocent. The just father. It's a godly man that that has put his faith in God. He's a just man. And he's living his life accordingly. And he's doing just things. And he's not doing unjust things. And then there's an example of an unjust son. In verse 10 it says, If he, this man we just read about, if he beget a son that is a robber, a shedder of blood. Again, I think he's going to be making some points here. A shedder of blood, and that doeth the like to any one of these things, and that doth and that doeth not any of those duties, but even hath eaten upon the mountains, and defiled his neighbor's wife, hath oppressed the poor and needy, hath spoiled by violence, hath not restored the pledge, and hath lifted up his eyes to the idols, hath committed abomination, hath given forth upon usury, and hath taken increase. Shall he live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. And so he's giving some examples of who's righteous according to God's law and who's unrighteous. He doesn't leave it there. He keeps going. In verse 14 he says, Now lo, if he beget a son. This is a different father now. If he beget a son that seeth all his father's sins which he hath done and considereth and doeth not such like. And I would like to say that that is entirely possible in our world for there to be children that have unrighteous parents but they can still live for the Lord. That's possible. And we can encourage young people in particular in that. Verse 15, that hath not eaten upon the mountains, neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, hath not defiled his neighbor's wife, neither hath suppressed any, hath not withholden the pledge, neither hath spoiled by violence, but hath given his bread to the hungry and hath covered the naked with the garment, that hath taken of his hand from the poor, that that hath taken off his hand from the poor, that hath not received usury nor increase, hath executed my judgments, hath walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father, he shall surely live. Here we have an example of an unrighteous father that had a son and the son lived a life of righteousness because he was righteous because his faith was in God and his word. He's not going to suffer for his unrighteous father. And then we see one verse about the unrighteous father in verse 18. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed spoiled his brother by violence and did that which is not good among his people, lo, even he shall die and his iniquity. And then we get back in this sort of an introversion of an outline in this this passage here. We get back to the soul that sinneth in 19 and 20. It says, yet ye say, why? Doth not the son bear the iniquity of the father? And God answers that question. When the son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. So in other words, you're wrong. 
Your proverb is wrong. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And all we did was a little bit of reading there, I know, but that, those were the warnings of God. Mainly being the soul that sinneth, it shall die. There's the warning. There's God's warning in Ezekiel 18. But then we see the wanting of God. Here's where the name comes in. We see the wanting of God. We see some things next that God wants and we see some things that God doesn't want. And for this, we turn to uh, Ezekiel 33. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 33. And you're probably saying, that's 15 chapters. That's a big change. We're missing a lot of stuff. Yeah, it, judgment. Judgment. More judgment. Yeah. So we're going this. I thought it was interesting, though, that these two, these two chapters tend to parallel. Um, and they're about a third of the way and two-thirds of the way through. I don't know if that means anything. But uh, I just noticed that. You know, in the middle of all of this judgment, well, near the end of Ezekiel, there's some talk of the temple and, and a lot of measuring and that kind of thing. But, uh, but basically, Ezekiel is judgment. And in the middle of this long book of long chapters with really long verses of judgment, God shows us his heart in this matter. What does he want? What is the wanting of God? And it's quite simply to repent. God wants repentance. In chapter 33, we're going we're gonna to get to 1 through 9 in a minute, but we'll look at verse 10. It says, Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions, and this is what you're saying to me, house of Israel, if our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and they are, and we pine away in them, and they do, how should we then live? If we're, if we're in a state of sin against God, we're at enmity against God, we are his enemy, how are we going to live? You can't. You're not going to live. It's understood. In verse, but in verse 11 says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, and this just stood out to me right here, the heart of God. Listen to this. As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now, what I'm doing right now, and maybe a few of you are, we're probably thinking of some wicked, some wicked people that we know, some people that are unbelievers, or people that are God-haters, people that uh, would fit into this category of the wicked. But then what I do is I start thinking, well, wait a minute, that was me. That was me. I was the wicked. We'll talk more about that later. I was the wicked. He died for me. It's real easy for me to stop and think about all of these people the Bible is talking about. <laughs> when I read all this bad stuff, oh, that's that guy. Oh, that's that girl. No, no, that was me. And hopefully when you read the scriptures, you are reminded, and I'm not encouraging you to dwell on this. We're not supposed to dwell on this. We're not supposed to reckon on this. Romans tells us to reckon ourselves dead unto sin. But we can certainly know that that's where I came from. The Lord Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, he wasn't going to be happy if I died in my sin. He wanted me to repent. 
saying to them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but strong adversity, that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's what I want. Creator God, creator of all that we see and know, sitting on my throne, what do I want? I want the wicked. I want the rebellious. I want the people who hate me, the people who do all of these wickednesses that we read about in chapter 18, that do all of these evil that's being judged throughout this entire book. I want you to, I want you to repent. God wants the wicked to repent. And if you do read passages of scripture that make you think about certain people, which is natural, you know what God wants? God wants them to repent. He doesn't take pleasure in their death. He takes pleasure in their salvation. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, he says it twice, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? God is begging his wicked children to repent. That's the heart of God. God wants the wicked to repent. He wants them to turn from their evil. That's what he wants. He wants to repent. Then we see some more examples of what he wants here in 12 in verses 12 through 16. It says, "Therefore thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, the righteousness of the righteous, listen to this, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous, and just in case you're wondering about that first part, hey, wait a minute here. The righteous sinneth and he's not going to live? We understand when we keep reading the verse, neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness. You know, I'm not a believer, but I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to look right and act right, and talk right, and dress right. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to fit in with you, but I'm not a believer. That's who he's talking about. He's not talking about uh, uh, me living a, a good life, and I make one mistake, oh, I lost my salvation. not talking about that at all. We're in, a, we're in a different time here, and we're not talking about different ways of being saved. I'm saying he's not talking about believers in him. He's talking about people who are doing, and in this case, their righteous, their righteousnesses. Because we know that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. He says in verse 13, When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live if he trust in his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered. Oh, you look good. You sounded good. You acted good. You put money in the plate, the box. You, put, you, you, you did good. But you were unrighteous because you had your own righteousness. That's what he's saying. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it, which as we already know, that's not what God wants. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die if he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right. If the wicked restore the pledge, here we go with those sins being listed again. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he hath robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live. He shall not die. And he's not going to do that until he repents. But that's what God wants. 
He wants them to repent and walk in his ways. Verse 16, none of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. What do you think about that verse? What do you think about that? That first part, that first line. Read it. (laughs) Read it. Go ahead and read it. Look at it. What do you think about that? What are your thoughts? None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. That's me. That's you. If you've repented and trusted Christ for your salvation. Praise the Lord. He's telling these lost, evil, sinful, his chosen people who have rebelled against him and do all manner of unspeakable evil. He's telling them, repent. That's what I want. But I stop in verse 16 and I say, none of my sins that that I have committed shall be mentioned. And I praise God for that. Because I was the wicked until I trusted Christ for my salvation. Yeah. The righteous and the wicked. And then we see in verse 17, yet the children of thy people, they still say, they're still complaining. They're still putting up a fight. I mean, me, I already been bawling and crying. I mean, I'm bawling and crying now. In verse 17, they say, yet the children of thy people say, the way of the Lord is not equal. Wait a minute, you're not being fair. What? (laughs) The way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. Wickedness, when you have my law, you're my chosen people. You have my law, you rebel against it. Or you have a heart of darkness, but you want to look right to a certain group, and so you behave a certain way. But you haven't trusted me. for my, you're not, your, your faith is not in me. Your faith is in your own righteousness. He said, that's what's unequal. The way of, the way of unrighteousness is what is unequal. And then we see the righteous and the wicked again. Verse 18, when the righteous turneth from his righteousness and committeth iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. I mean, it, it couldn't make any more, it couldn't be any more logical. Yet ye say the way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I will judge you every one after his ways. It doesn't get any more fairer than that. It doesn't make any more sense. That's the warning of God. He wants the unrighteous. He wants the wicked. He wants them to repent. A repentance is a change in mind that results in a change in action. You know that. I've described it as I'm on Interstate 85. And I'm going to, I'm going to go to Charlotte from Spartanburg. I'm going to Charlotte. And uh, <clears throat> I see a sign that says Atlanta, 185 miles. I'm going the wrong way. But I keep driving. Atlanta, 165 miles. I'm still going the wrong way. I understand I'm going the wrong way because I'm trying to go to Charlotte. Atlanta, 145 miles. Have I repented? But when I'm heading to Charlotte and I see the sign on 85 that says Atlanta, 185 miles, I go, 
I'm heading the wrong way. So I get off the off-ramp, I go across the bridge, and I get back on the other way. Charlotte, 115. I don't know if that's right, but you know, don't check me. Don't do me no fact checkers in here today. I just picked that number out of the air. Did I repent? Yeah. It's one thing to realize you're going the wrong way. I mean, no offense, smokers do it all the time. Yeah, I need to quit. It's one, thing to, it's one thing to have it in your mind. It's another thing to say, oh, man, I'm in trouble. I really, need to, I really need to repent. It's another thing to have it in your emotions, but then to exercise your will and get off the interstate, go across the bridge, and come back down the other way. Repentance. That's what God wants for the wicked. That's what he wants. But the truth is that's what he wants for believers too when it comes to wrong thinking. When it comes to wrong actions, wrong behaviors, wrong thoughts, wrong attitudes, all those things, he wants to, we should, our whole life should be repentance. <laughs> Repenting towards wrong things and, you know, and turning toward right things. That is the heart of God. That's what he wants. That's the, well, we saw the warning of God. The soul that sinneth it shall die. We see the wanting of God. Repent. And then we see, and this backing up in chapter 33, we see the watchman of God. The watchman of God. In verse 1, again the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of, the, of thy people and say unto them, when I bring the sword upon a land, and that was God that just said that, when I bring a sword upon the land, what is he talking about? He's talking about judgment for sin, judgment for wickedness, judging the nation. When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman. All right? We're seeing here the, the, a faithful watchman. I forgot to tell you my little note. The faithful watchman sounds out. The faithful watchman sounds out. If, verse 3, when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then, what, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning... If the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. So the watchman blows his trumpet. Judgment's coming. And some people are going, ah. What was that? You're not supposed to do in Columbia? Yeah, judgment's coming. But some people hear that judgment's coming and they repent. And that's what he said here. Um, I lost my blaze here. He said, I lost my blaze. What verse was that in? Thank you. <laughs> um, but he that take, yeah, that's right. End of verse five. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. Why is that? Because God wants the wicked to repent. That's the faithful sound. But in verse, verse six, we see that the unfaithful watchman sounds not. Verse 6 says, But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, listen to this, he is taken away in his iniquity. That person that the sword came, that sword came in judgment because of their iniquity. And they were taken in their own iniquity because I sent the sword. So they're taken in their own iniquity, but he says this, But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. Because he told the watchman to blow the horn, to blow the trumpet, to warn them, to give them a chance to repent. The faithful watchman sounds out. The unfaithful sounds not. And here's my sidetrack. I think this is my only sidetrack today. 
I scribbled this morning. What possible reason could he have for not blowing the horn? I'm the watchman. (laughs) I'm on the wall. I see him coming. I have a horn in my hand. What possible reason? Yeah, that's what I think. You know what I think about? Ryan, I think about Jonah. The interesting interesting thing about Jonah, because he wanted the Ninevites, what they've done to Israel, I want them destroyed. And when you read it, I think it's in chapter 4, I should have read it. Um, I think it's in chapter 4 where he said said something. He starts complaining about God. Jonah's complaining about God and he goes, he's, I knew it. He's righteous and holy and he forgives and he's good and and he's complaining about God and everything he says is just glorifying God, even in his complaint. Because he preached like God told him to and they repented and God didn't destroy him. And Jonah was mad about it because he wanted him destroyed. This is kind of in my mind where this lesson for me, what God was teaching me, was from the last week's lesson about forgiveness, how they sort of come together. You got somebody sitting over here that's got hard feelings towards somebody sitting over here and it's been that way for 10 years. And God doesn't want that. God wants us to have a spirit of humility and forgiveness and then he wants us to come together and forgive one another. He's created, he, he, he's created and commanded a process of forgiveness. That's what he wants. But he wants the same thing too for the lost. And is it possible that sometimes we as believers, we can read about all this wickedness and we can look in the world and we can see all of this wickedness and all of these evil people and all of these bad things that we don't do, right? And we think, smite them, Lord. Destroy them. Take them away. But God does not have pleasure in the death of the wicked. He told me that a while ago. Is that possibly why? I mean, I know sometimes we're afraid. I know sometimes we can be nervous. I know sometimes, you know, there's other reasons. But I wonder if one of the main reasons for me, maybe I don't have a heart of forgiveness towards the wicked. Like God does. God stands ready to forgive. If they'll repent. The unfaithful sounds not. And so God says in verse 7, Warn the wicked. So thou, O man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Here's where he takes the example of the watchman and tells him, This is you I'm talking about. Thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. You're the watchman. And then we see in verse 8, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. Why? Because of your sin. And what do I want you to do? I want you to repent. And you don't repent. When I say unto thee, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood where I require at that hand, at thy hand. I'm not trying to murky up any kind of dispensational waters here. My sins have been paid for. My sins have been paid for. 
but I'm still going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to answer for something. I'm going to be answering for something. It's not, oh, my sins have been paid for. I'm good to go. Now, as a matter of fact, when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, the way I feel about it is I'm going to be in the back of the line. I'm going to have plenty of time to talk. Because there's going to be a plenty of people up front that have lived their lives for the glory of God start to finish, and I'll be, I'm going to be in the back. But I'm still going to answer for what I do, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's what the Bible says. I don't have to pay for my sins. My sins have been paid for, but I'm going to have to answer for my life. And is that not what he's saying here? If you don't warn him, his blood will require at thine hand. That's kind of that's scary, to be honest with you, to me. How many people have I had the opportunity to warn and I have not warned? Verse 9, nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it because his heart is repentance, he wants the wicked to repent, to turn from it. If he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. That's what he says. The faithful sounds out. And as we know, if uh, um, I'll just turn there and read it. I had it on my phone, but I, it'll probably get here quicker doing it this way. In 2 Corinthians, you probably know where I'm going. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, in other words, that is, this is what, I'm, this is what I mean, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them but hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We're the watchmen of God. We're the watchmen of God. The warning of God. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wanting of God. Repent. The watchmen of God were ambassadors for Christ, praying you in Christ's stead to be reconciled unto God. That's us. That's what Ezekiel 18, in the middle of all that judgment, that's what Ezekiel 18 is saying. Give me just a minute. Been, uh, I've been reliving a little bit of my past this weekend. And not because, not because of what I'm going to talk about by way of conclusion. Although it was bad, <laughs> um, but because of uh, God working in my life through all of that, when I was uh, 17 years old, my family we were in the car business, and uh, 
I always around car dealerships and did all kind of detailed cars. And when I was in college, I even sold cars. And, and when I was in high school in uh, Columbia, big car dealer, had three big dealerships. And uh, my mom was a business manager of one of them. And I worked there and just, you know, worked on the weekends and worked during the summertime. Well, uh, <clears throat> they had this beautiful 1983 Corvette Stingray. It was something. And it just sat there. Nobody ever drove that poor car. You probably wanted too much money for it, so nobody bought it. And I got the idea, well, you know, I, I have a key to the dealership. And I know where the dealer plates are. I think I'll just take it for a ride. After all, I'm a good kid. And I'm a hard worker. And everybody likes me. And if something goes wrong, they'll understand. If I get caught, you know, sorry. Easier to get forgiveness than permission, you know, that kind of thing. And so I went to the dealership when Friday night. It's Friday night, 1986. Does that sound like a long time ago? 1986? It doesn't to me, but maybe to some of you it does. And I get the key and I put, get the tag and I, I go and... Uh, pick up a couple of friends, and we just go driving around. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, but wait a minute, a Corvette is only two-seater. And you picked up a couple of friends? Yeah. Um, and we were tooling around, just driving around, just having a good time, enjoying ourselves. Interestingly enough, the next week I had this car that I own, <clears throat> this antique car that I was going to start restoring. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to start restoring my car next week. And... Uh, Somebody pulls up beside me in a Mustang. Now, automatically, you know, there's just a big dummy right there because he's in a Mustang pulling up beside a Corvette. He wants to race. Well, I don't want to race, but, uh, you know, I... Well, long story short is we, we, have a, uh, we have a collision. And the first thing I think is, is I don't have permission to be in this car. And I was just racing this guy. I mean, I did win, but I was racing this guy. And, and then we had a, a, a fender bender. It wasn't bad as far as accidents go. And so the first thing I do is take off. And so I drive back, drop my friends off. I drive back to the car dealership, which is in a bad part of town. And, uh, and I leave the car with the keys in it in the bad part of the bad part of town. And I go back to the uh, car dealership. I'm saying all this for a reason now. I mean, this is not any great, great secret. But anyhow, I go back to the car dealership and I make it look like someone broke into the dealership and got in the car and drove it away. And then I come to work the next morning and the general manager, Gene Jones, general manager, he goes, he's looking in the, he's like, wasn't there a Corvette parked in here? Where's the, where's the car? Yeah, I think it was. And... Um, Anyhow, long story short, calls the police. The police come. I'm standing there saying, yeah, over here, look, look. They knocked the window out over here and raised the door, and it came in. They probably pushed the button and drove. You can see the marks on the... And so, I, okay, so we got Grand Theft Auto. We have leaving the scene of an accident, and we have obstruction of justice. Now, for those of you in the law, there may be a few more that I'm forgetting, but we have the, we have the big three, the trifecta of the 17-year-olds in trouble. And, uh, and I wasn't worried because, I mean, what's this guy going to do? 
Is he going to call the police and say, hey, I was racing on, 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 in seven, out on Seven Oaks and uh, I ran into a guy? Yeah. That's exactly what he did. And he called the dealership and he, did, he drew me like a picture. This guy was driving this Corvette and he ran into me and took off. The, uh, the dealer owner, I mean, he knew who I was, just knew who I was. You know, that's my, my, I, he, knew, he knew my mom, that's, my, that's her son. Um, he wanted me to go to jail. And uh, Gene Jones, who was the GM of his big dealership there, and, and I don't know what you think of the car business, but in the car business, general managers, you know, good general managers, they, they just don't pick them up off the street. You know, they got... They got some savvy and some know-how, and Gene Jones was a good one. Gene Jones and Willard Stokes, I don't mind saying their name. I don't, I'm not even sure they're still alive. This was so long ago. Willard Stokes was uh, the car dealer's comptroller over all three dealerships. As they say in the business world, he knew where all the bodies were buried. Um, Gene Jones and Willard Stokes walk into Ken Hyatt's office and say, if you put that boy in jail, we quit. They did that for me. And when I think about that, I think, wait a minute. I thought I was a good kid. I thought I was okay. But now I'm going to have to go before the judge. And what ended up happening was some people who had some, some authority, some position, some weight, some gravitas, they, 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 uh, what's the word? Risked their careers for a 17-year-old kid. They stood in my place for me. Well, that's what the Lord Jesus did for me. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus did for me. And it was this whole incident that led to me being saved. But I still had to pay for it. I still had to pay for an 85 Mustang and an 83 Corvette, and this is 1985, and so, you know, they're pretty new, and that's, that's not going to be cheap. Well, the car dealership had a, I'm almost done. Car dealership had a uh, uh, body shop, and Maxie Argo, he's dead now. Maxie Argo was the manager. Maxie, by all accounts, wasn't much of a, a business manager. And apparently my mom had done a lot for him and helping keep his book straight and keep him, keep him afloat and, you know, helped him, helped him in that way. She was good in that way. And, uh, and Maxie said, well, he can just work in the body shop this summer because, of course, of course, I got fired. Um, he can work in the body shop this summer and, uh, and he can pay it off. And I asked Maxie. Well, I, and I told Maxie, I'm like, I, I really appreciate you letting me come here and, and work. I even worked on him. I even... Worked on both those cars. I appreciate you coming to do it. And he goes, he said, your mom has done so much for me. How could I not help, help you? And isn't that what the Lord is saying to us as watchmen? And me as a watchman, how can I not say, Lord, you've done so much for me. How can I not speak for you? How can I not blow the trumpet? How can I not... And not even just him, but people throughout our lives that have stood in the gap for us and done good for us. 
that were that all they were, because I don't know about you, but I have come to discover that two things happen. God puts people in my life that treat me the way I treat him. Somebody will mistreat me or, or they put on some show or they tell me they love me and they don't or they, whatever it is. And I get to thinking, well, you know, maybe that's how I treat God sometimes. But the other kind of people that God has put in my life are people that are allegories, if you will, of God's grace for me and people who have stood in the gap for me to provide deliverance from the judge for me. He's done that for me. How can I, be, how can I not be a faithful watchman for him? That's what he wants. Because he wants the wicked to repent and be right with him and live. And he's called us to be watchmen. And so I would just say, um, in closing, that uh, I don't know if there's anyone here this morning who's not saved, who have never trusted Christ for your salvation, but I just feel, I mean, we've been reading through Ezekiel, so sorry if this is harsh, but, but one day you are gonna, you're going to stand before the judge and there's not going to be any, there's not going to be any, uh, any uh, con job. There's not going to be any, you know, you know, cards up your sleeve. There's not going to be anything you're going to do. It's going to be you're standing before the judge and you're going to be judged for your sin and cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. That is the truth from God's scriptures. And God does not take pleasure in that. God wants you to repent. And this morning you can re repent. You can put your faith in Christ for your salvation this morning. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. He died on the cross for my sins and for yours. And by trusting him for your salvation, repenting of your sins, trusting him, two sides of the same coin has been said. You can be saved in a child of God and you can live for eternity. And if you're here this morning and you're like, well, you know, I, I just really haven't been the watchman I'm supposed to be.